totally football show. Today, Manchester. It's like the Roses and the Mondays all over again. Two Mancunian outfits, number one, with their amazing records. We ask, is Marion Fellaini, bears with big hair, looks a bit useless but actually vital for a good performance, and can anyone harsh their mellow? Elsewhere, just when you thought it was safe to go back to Wembley, Spurs had more trouble at home and that Chelsea-Arsenal match. We'll talk Championship, Birmingham fire Harry Redknapp after four points in eight games. We ask any way Wendy Ramos can come in and take them into Europe. And we'll be getting the latest from football abroad, Scotland, Russia, Italy and Germany. It's the Totally Football Show. On today's panel... Raphael Honigstein's back, Rafa. Hello. Hello there. But we've got season debut for Sasha Gurionov. Hello, James. A.K.A. Slasher. Hi, James. Hi again. And also, and this is exciting, fresh in from the independent Simon Hughes, uh, known to you as the uh, best-selling author of the excellent Men in White Suits and soon to be dominating the book charts once again with On the Brink, A Journey Through English Football's Northwest. Hello. Hi, Simon. That's nice. Is the title part of the word count? Is that how you kind of <laughs> I just found it quite hard to come up with something that sums up the Northwest, to be honest. And it just felt like everybody was on the brink. On so, the brink. Yeah, that's yeah. why. Well, we're going to be talking about on the brink teams from the Northwest. Mm-hmm. So it's perfect to have you here. I mean, Manchester teams in general, both Man United and, and, and City, with absolutely extraordinary records, of course, identical right now. 13 points earned, 16 goals scored, only two conceded, 10 the pair of them this weekend. Do you know, United and City are together are responsible for more than a quarter of all the goals scored in the Premier League this season. Wow. Yeah. James, who would you rather watch? Out of those two? Well, personally, City. Who would you rather watch, Sasha? Definitely City. Mm. And why is that? Well, they um, they play well throughout, as opposed to Manchester United. 1-0, going last 10 and then score another three. I'd rather get my 90 minutes worth of entertainment. Mm. Dave Newton says, I think we need to look into Man City in general, as they always seem to have an extra man sneaking 12 on the pitch. Now, there were many stars in their route of Watford at the weekend. Uh, I, I think David Silva, so underrated as a player, really deserves some recognition here. Uh, Aguero, with the hat-trick, pretty good as well. He's only three off their all-time scoring record now. But it was uh, Pep decided that the players he wanted to cite for commendation with the, with the fullbacks essentially yeah totally football show today Manchester it's like the roses and the Mondays all over again two Mancunian outfits number one with their amazing records we ask is Marion Fellaini bears with big hair looks a bit useless but actually vital for a good performance and can anyone harsh their mellow Elsewhere, just when you thought it was safe to go back to Wembley, Spurs had more trouble at home and that Chelsea-Arsenal match. We'll talk Championship, Birmingham fire Harry Redknapp after four points in eight games. We ask any way Wendy Ramos can come in and take them into Europe. And we'll be getting the latest from football abroad, Scotland, Russia, Italy and Germany. It's the Totally Football Show. On today's panel... Raphael Honigstein's back, Rafa. Hello. Hello there. But we've got season debut for Sasha Gurionov. Hello, James. A.K.A. Slasher. Hi, James. Hi again. And also, and this is exciting, fresh in from the independent Simon Hughes, 
known to you as the uh, best-selling author of the excellent Men in White Suits and soon to be dominating the book charts once again with On the Brink, A Journey Through English Football's Northwest. Hello. Hi, Simon. That's nice. To do. Is the title part of the word count? Is that how you kind of both... <laughs> I just found it quite hard to come up with something that sums up the Northwest, to be honest, and it just felt like everybody was on the brink. On so, the brink. Yeah, that's yeah. why I Well, we're going to be talking about on the brink teams from the Northwest, so it's perfect to have you here. I mean, Manchester teams in general, both Man United and, and, and City, with absolutely extraordinary records, of course, identical right now, 13 points earned, 16 goals scored, only two conceded, 10 from the pair of them this weekend. Do you know, United and City are together are responsible for more than a quarter of all the goals scored in the Premier League this season. Wow. Yeah. James, who would you rather watch? Out of those two? Well, personally, City. Who would you rather watch, Sasha? Definitely City. Mm. Why is that? Well, they um, they play well throughout, as opposed to Manchester United. 1-0, going last 10 and then score another three. I'd rather get my 90 minutes worth of entertainment. Mm. Dave Newton says, I think we need to look into Man City in general, as they always seem to have an extra man sneaking 12 on the pitch. Now, there were many stars in their rout of Watford at the weekend. Uh, I, I think David Silva, so underrated as a player, really deserves some recognition here. Uh, Aguero, with the hat-trick, pretty good as well. He's only three off their all-time scoring record now. But it was Pep decided that the players he wanted to cite for commendation were the, were, were the full-backs, essentially. Yeah, which of course has a political dimension because he had been criticised for spending so heavily uh, on full-backs, which is kind of a, seen as a or was used as a sort of an indictment of his method, saying, you know, if he's so good, why does he spend has to spend so much money on fullbacks? Uh, but of course, A, he doesn't really care um, personally. I don't think City care very much what the money's being spent on. Uh, and they very clearly needed a different type of fullbacks uh, because the ones that they had before weren't quite good enough to to play that, uh, that kind of expensive football that he wanted. So with Pep knowing from Bayern you cannot really take anything serious when it comes to him commanding players because he praises every single player and usually then they're gone uh, a couple of weeks later um, the, the best one and you might have heard this one before is when he said I'd like to have a thousand Dantes in my squad and then Dante was gone and, uh, so he's, he's, he's very generous in his praise hmm. um, but it doesn't mean all that much because you hear it again and again said about every single person in the squad But if there is a difference between City this year and last year would it be the fullbacks? Um, well the fullbacks are of course different players yes hmm. so there is a difference but I just think his methods work better I mean it's not long ago when you saw pundits regularly try to give him advice how he should be def- setting up his defence and he's just not really understanding how it should be done um, his answer of course was always I do things a little bit differently and if it doesn't work it's not because the method is wrong it's because the application is wrong and maybe I think we'll get to Jurgen Klopp I think his view is similar uh, on you know on how coaching works and doesn't work, so I think that the kind of stuff that he's been trying to work hard on, which is the prevention of counterattacks deep in the opposition half, things that really just take a bit of time, mm. um, is coming more to to fruition now. And they have they have the best squad. Um, I think no one really doubts that. And uh, you know they were the favourites to win uh, the Premier League before the season kicked off. And were they? Yes, they were. Mm. The, and the- there's no surprise that they are leading the table they did also have a similar result against Watford last year in this fixture it was 5-0 that time and Watford also had a, a raft of players uh, which is a strange collective now actually but anyway <laughs> a group of players out injured at, at the back 
Also for me, uh, you know, interaction between Aguero and, and Jesus. I think they played eight games together. I think Aguero got eight eight goals. Uh, Jesus got seven and five assists between each other. Last two games as well, we're seeing Aguero setting up Jesus for the goals. Maybe a question for Rafa. What do you make of uh, Guardiola's treatment last year of Aguero and where he is now? Guardiola was very unhappy with the way Aguero uh, behaved off the ball. He didn't offer enough. In a way, I think it's not so much that Aguero has changed his game, but the formation with Jesus behind Aguero allows Aguero just to do a little bit less without getting attracting the ire of of Guardiola they're not they don't have to do work so hard because a's got the extra man and b they have these five guys across the middle so they don't have to win the ball back quite as high um, as before they have a bit more solidity at the back when they play with three at the back which is a five um, without possession and you know as a goal scorer he's still the most natural goal scorer I think in the Premier League full stop mm-hmm. so <laughs> I don't think necessarily things have much has changed. I think it's just that they, let's say, found a way to work with each other that's to the benefit of everyone. Mm. I, I think it's it's a really good thing for Aguero to have somebody up front with him because yeah, every striker o- over the last you know five, six, seven years, how many years he's been in England now, he, he's often played up front by himself. You know, <laughs> when you have to do that, you, you're getting kicked every week, and I think that's impacted on the number of games that he can play. I actually think if he if he if he has somebody up there with him, he's going to actually be able to play more games because there's there's just simply more for the defenders to think about rather than him. I, I mean, for for me, like the the best moment I've seen Aguero and Jesus do this season was what they did to Clavin on the opening goal at City, where basically they're just standing either side of Clavin, completely isolating him, and then Aguero just runs through, so in, playing together well. Right, but it was Ragnar Clavin. True, fair point. <laughs> we'll come to him. Yeah. Wait, also, but let's out the weaknesses. When you look at Man United's win, just the four for them. Do you have to throw in that it was also Everton in that? Um, no, I think that'd be a bit harsh. I mean, Everton um, played well through large spells. They made it rather difficult for for most most of the time. I think they, they just fell apart a little bit at the end. Um, I think United still look exactly the way they have looked from the very first moment of the season, where they don't concede a lot of goals. They they look uh, very pragmatic. They have quality up front. They have a kind of a cynical streak, or maybe we should say clinical streak, um, to uh, put it in more positive terms. They do things differently than City, but they do them just as well um, on their own terms. And that's why, again, uh, they are up there. And I don't think that's a big surprise either that those two clubs are challenging for the title. Right. Stylistically, as you say, very different. Uh, Man United have scored more than half their goals this season after the 80th minute, but it was the one they scored very early on through Antonio Valencia that really caught the eye uh, this time. Fantastic finish. I mean, I know it might have actually come off his, his shin a little bit. Did but it? I know, um, you know, at half time that the pundits were talking about the technique. I think Thierry Henry and Graham Souness were, were pointing out that the, the technique was absolutely perfect, which it, which it was. And I think he. He's become a really, you know, important player for United as well. You know, they, they, they've got strength and experience across the team now. There's no, and I, I know Mourinho gets criticised, doesn't he, for, for not bringing through young players, but all the players that they've got are kind of at the right age now. And Valencia is one of them. You know, he's been there for a long time. He, he He's probably the most consistent right back in the league, rarely misses a game, scores a few goals, you know. I, I, few I, is the word. You know, the, the last time he scored a goal was January 2014. All right, well, he... To completely uh, <laughs> shot that one down, but uh, no, but he is a tremendously consistent yeah. performer, definitely. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Everton, not so much. Down in the bottom three now, four defeats in a row. They've conceded twelve goals without reply. Dan Mason, among the many people commenting Riley this weekend, good job, Everton. Did all that good business in the summer. They'd be in trouble 
otherwise. It's all it's mighty similar to another Dutch manager who we've just recently waved goodbye to in, in terms of a record. Is, that, is actually Everton's record worse than Palace's? It might be, yeah. In terms of goals conceded, it might, might well be. But having said that, easier fixtures on the way. Look, in, in, in fact, many listeners asking, is it just because of the rotten opening games that Everton had? Because they did have a tough fixture list. Mm. They've got, I think, four home matches in a row coming up. Is, is that going to change their fortunes? But they don't... I mean, for me, watching Everton, it's... And, I mean, I only saw the highlights of the United game. Just slow. I mean, it's, it's very slow transitions, very slow the way they move the ball forward, um, which makes it basically easier to defend against them. Maybe mm. that's why they haven't scored any goals. I mean, Drini did, did have a couple of chances yet, um, yesterday. But overall, um, I think, you know, if this carries on, it's just the oomph is completely going out of the club. Yeah, worrying performance last Thursday as well in the Europa League away at Atalanta. But yeah, and a worrying run of form for Everton. Their sleeve sponsor drawing a lot of comment too. Uncle Nonny's saying, "New Everton, Angry Birds, it says no on their sleeve. New Everton sleeve sponsor summing up Rooney's personal life. <laughs> I, I think Everton are, are the victim of totally unwarranted uh, hype before the start of the season. You know, they bought some decent players, but it was very clear, at least to me, huh, that uh, there, is a, there is a glass ceiling that they cannot possibly break through. They were never going to challenge for the top four, I think. They were never going to challenge for the title. Of course, they started off badly, but they've lost against teams that you'd expect them to lose against. Mm, so. What Sasha's pointed towards, though, is not just the fact that they've lost, but there seems to be almost like, almost a lack of fight, would you say? I mean, I, th- I think with every defeat, I mean, if, if you look at the club that enters a rut... Um, you know, you start believing less and less in what the manager is asking you to do, and it just sucks the life out of you. Mm. All right. Anyway, Man United and Man City looking good. It's early. We'd prefer to watch Man City. Which do we think is more likely in the long run? More likely to, Might like win, to win the title. Mm. I think it'll come down to a couple of points either way. Okay. I think it'll be that, that close. Simon? I, I think United this season. Did you write your book a year too early? <laughs> Anyway, there you go. It's 10 goals for the uh, two Mancunian sides. Absolutely none for London's teams. And we'll be looking at that after this. Hey, listeners, if you want to see what we look like, head over to Facebook and search for The Totally Football Show. There are some very nice videos on there, too. It's what people who run media companies call bonus content. Oh, and also, don't forget, we're going out on the road. The M6... To be precise, Simon, although we might take the M40 if we want to go the scenic route and also you skip the toll that way. Uh, But anyway, our destination is the Glee Club in Birmingham on Wednesday, November the 8th. And this is for our first ever Totally Football Live. Uh, That's very exciting. And if you'd like to get a ticket, what I can do is urge you to go post haste to glee.co.uk and get one of those hot potatoes as soon as possible. James, why don't you just take the train? Well, that's also an option, isn't it? Yeah, I think I'll take the train. So we'll be hitting the rails and perhaps going off them. I don't know. It's that kind of crazy evening when we go totally football live, I think. Uh, Sorry, Sasha. Arsenal. How? Why? What's happening? Rafa. A competent performance from Arsenal. Well, two, actually, because they came from behind against Cologne in that Europa League on Thursday. Yeah, but that was a shambolic performance, all told. Um, This one... um, this one was good and they, they did something that most people didn't think they were capable of, which is to just keep it tight and not concede any stupid goals, try to pick their moments when going forward. I did think they looked quite shaky in the opening 20 minutes or so and could have easily conceded. 
but overall um, it's the kind of performance that instills a bit of confidence that if maybe not things changing dramatically that they're at least not getting worse that they sort of keep can keep their level mm. yeah, you have to give them give them credit but the way that they showed Chelsea's limitations in the cup final where I think if you prepare very well for that for the Chelsea game which is the ball over the top most of the time early ball or or from Fabregas in this case then they don't have that much else to offer mm. Um, we saw so, a glorious example of that early on with Fabregas over the top. Yeah. Uh, but Arsenal keeping their first clean sheet at Stamford Bridge in 12 years. Is it a coincidence that these two wins, sorry, not wins, but, but moral victory, if you like, at the weekend and, and the, the win over Cologne have come without Ozil in the side? I don't know. You put I don't in know a Wobi. The extra movement. I, 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 I would hesitate to come down on Ozil because that would only reveal me to be a football unsophisticate. But it is interesting that the teams seem to have a, a greater dynamism, be more physical, perhaps. They almost seem to be the more physical of the two teams, which I, I didn't expect at all. I mean, look, he, he played in, in the final when, when Arsenal beat Chelsea. Right. Um, so I don't know if he des- necessarily um, makes a huge difference. But what is true, undoubtedly, is that if you want to play without the ball, mm. um, and that seemed to be a mindset that Wenger for once was comfortable with in this game, then you're better off without Ozil because without the ball and no strategy to win it back, he gets lost and um, others are happier to to suffer and to, you know, condense space and do all the kind of stuff that perhaps is not his natural game. Right. No Costa, no Diego Costa, which, again, people are pointing Breaking towards. News. Yeah. <laughs> but is that... Is, is is this no. an example no. of why... No, no, I think it's an example of people trying to find an angle for a nil-nil game, something to write about. Um, OK, Morata, I've got another one. Morata was very good, I right. felt, and just didn't score. I mean, it can happen that a striker doesn't, mm. doesn't score. I, I, I do think, though, that Chelsea midfielders and the players around him are still getting used to Morata. You know, he, he's a very good player, very talented player, but, you know, I think if you look at the way Chelsea played last year, Costa was so integral to the style of football... It's just going to take a little bit of time for, for that to bed yeah, down. that's fair. I was at the game and I had the oh, feeling at the, at the very start uh, that Chelsea were very, very confident that they're just going to, they're just going to do Arsenal here 2-3-0. And when Arsenal actually showed that, that composure and that compact shape, Chelsea were a bit taken... I had the feeling Chelsea were a little bit taken aback by this. And actually, if you look at the, um, sort of the, the diagram of formations after the game that they had the match of the day, the Arsenal formation was actually very, very rigid. So they really, really stuck to what they were doing. And then once they got over the sort of initial 15, 20 minutes of Chelsea you know, probing and stuff, they actually did reasonably well. And I thought Bellerin got behind Alonso uh, on two or three occasions very nicely and they perhaps should have opened the scoring. Uh, Ramsey waddled through just before halftime. He, he runs very weirdly with the ball. Um, he hit the post. And I thought in the second half, sort of the, uh, they just matched each other very, very well. And what Wenger said after the game is that he was, it was important to at least not lose. Um, and you could see, I think, that in their approach in the last 20 minutes. And then, of course, uh, Sanchez returned, needled Luis. Luis lost his head and got sent off. Uh, so I think almost at the end, they were also psychological winners as well. I think certainly after the game, Conte was quite downbeat after the game. And he was being asked about, you know, why are you picking up all these red cards? And mm. he was like... It's three oh. in five now yeah, and in the Premier League after three in their previous 73. 
he didn't really like the questions and he sort of tried to bat them back and buy himself a bit of time, but he didn't really offer an explanation for this. Right. And they're going to miss uh, Luis for three games three now, games which includes the Man red. City. Yeah, so this, this, is, this was a straight red. Uh, you know, there was also the controversy, I think it was the 52nd minute, where he kicked Koscielny in the face. And again, there was the argument yellow, red, but apparently it was just a reckless as opposed to dangerous play. Mm, serious. Uh, no, serious danger, dangerous mm. play. But certainly his red was, was almost like a uh, throwback to the old Luis. We just, you could see his head completely went, he just dived into Kalashnats. Mm. And it could have actually been quite a serious injury. Yeah, a resounding thwack. Mm. Yeah, heard around Stamford Bridge. Um, well, there, there you go. Well, it's a, a fine point for Arsenal. You mentioned the chaos. I'm not sure if that was the word you used, Rafa, on Thursday night against Cologne. Uh, various different, differing angles have been offered to this. One kind of 20,000 Cologne fans on the rampage. Other people saying, no, actually, it was nice to get a bit of atmosphere once in the Emirates. What what kind of actually happened there? Well, I mean, it very much depends on where you were, what you saw, how you were personally impacted by this. I mean, from the press box, which is a nice area to watch all this from, it looked just like um, like good fun. Um I spoke to two Arsenal fans who were there. They absolutely loved loved the atmosphere. They were not themselves negatively affected. They uh, they fraternised with the Cologne fans. They told them to you know not overdo it, otherwise they get thrown out. And then some of them even got into arguments with other Arsenal fans who want them thrown out. And they said, "Come on, don't be stupid." You know, they're just they're just there. So it really depends. I think what what's my my issue with some of the reporting, I think, is that it came up with this. False narrative of or idea that twenty thousand Cologne fans stormed the Emirates. I mean, this simply didn't happen. There was one very half-hearted, very quick, very easily um, stamped out attempt to charge the barriers, and that's one of the videos you might have seen. But very quickly, quickly disperses, and then everybody. And it wasn't twenty thousand; it was probably ten thousand. Everybody waited patiently for an hour, and then they were all let in. So you know, the idea that there was some kind of invasion or fans illegally got ent- got into the stadium is simply not true. Yes, under the letter of the law, they shouldn't have been able to buy these tickets, but they were bought from people selling these tickets that weren't stolen from some kind of you know box office or something. So if they, um, as Arsenal press office said, if they acquired illegal tickets, then also the sale of those tickets was illegal. And... I think that's really a harsh word to use for somebody who just, you know, wants to give his tickets to somebody else and who knows where they end up. Absolutely. Um, You have to say, when the game finally did get underway, it featured a couple of absolutely extraordinary goals, no? Well, the opener. Well, the the opener. Also, Sanchez's. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was was actually real fun. Real fun game to watch. And... there There is no excuse for, you know, for fans trying to jump the barrier and getting impatient there's no excuse for um they threw a few bottles in in Soho but no one got hurt I mean they were just being a bit boisterous and a bit over the top but I think again what's really key is here and that's where all the comparisons with the 80s and all this kind of stuff are completely nonsensical is the the intention of these fans was just to get into the stadium and watch the game Mm, they didn't come they didn't come to beat anyone up and I think that is a key uh, or even wind everybody up. I mean, there were no songs about Londoners. There were no songs about Arsenal. There were no songs about Germany or the war. I mean, all this kind of stuff, completely anathema. They were just sang about themselves all all day. And uh, one guy, 
a BBC reporter reported um, Nazi salutes, which was then taken as justification just to smack these guys over the head, uh, metaphorically, in, in some of the comments. But no one else saw it. And there were, they, there were 10, maybe 15,000 people in London for seven, eight hours. Nobody else saw Nazi salutes, apart from Robert Peston. So I don't know... I think, I think it's worth adding that um, I think it's 80% of ultras in Germany are actually anti-racist. It's, a, it's you know, foreign ultras cu- culture is quite a left-wing mm. sort of movement, if you like. Anti-racist, uh, pro-refugee. Well, exactly. So, yeah. and, and I think you could see, I, th- I think there were pictures on Twitter of the banners of Köln supporting refugees, refugees and stuff like that. So, you know, when Peston says, oh, wait, that was a Nazi salute, everyone goes, ooh, I think, uh, you know, I'd, I'd, I'm inclined to look on the side of, you know, the actual facts of what ultras movement is like in Germany, yeah, of course well. not without it, its problems. Um, but also policing. I mean, um, they surely they've noticed that there is lots of German fans in, in central London and they haven't, it seemed to me that the police response was quite chaotic. I mean, I spoke to someone um, in Munich uh, about, for example, policing around Bayern and Anderlecht. Uh, they had 400 police there, they had 200 riots and, and 100 like, special commando and there was a few undercover officers there as well. Whereas in London, I wasn't quite sure. I mean, again, I wasn't at the game, but looking at the riot squad late arrival, I mean, I wasn't really sure that the English were as prepared as they should have been for just such an influence of funds. No, fans. Actually, the police actually got changed into the riot gear at the stadium. Ah, they well. were outside changing. But, I mean, I'm hesitant to blame the police because they've got other stuff to worry about. Mm. Um, but... Uh, one question I think that is worth discussing maybe briefly is this question about segregation that it throws up because again I think we've come to the point where large numbers of fans in the home block are seen as something scandalous and dangerous and awful and you know this is a shame somehow that they're there where they shouldn't be and I think that's very very sad and very wrong Um, I can understand why you don't necessarily want to mix Arsenal fans and Spurs fans um, at, at the Emirates or at the old White Hart Lane. But when it comes to games that clearly have very little riding and no rivalry, I think it's um, it's stupid not to, to take a very benevolent and relaxed view when there is absolutely no danger of, of anything happening. So I, I just don't necessarily think that the idea of strict segregation is... is I can understand the historic mm. origins of it and wh- why it's been introduced in, 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 in England and, and Great Britain, but I don't think it's necessarily something that needs to be strictly adhered to. If, especially if Arsenal fans themselves, again, people I spoke to, they're very quick to mention to me that 10,000 of them went to Monaco and just sat. Obviously, Monaco, you know, as you know, James, never really the fullest and most atmospheric of grounds, but they all sat wherever they wanted to sit because right. they all officially had, I think, only a couple of thousand tickets. And, of course, nobody bat an eyelid. Yeah. Well, it'd be nice to see a world where there was no segregation whatsoever in any walk of life, I like to think, but but equally in, in football matches. Um, but I think, as you say, you can understand why with the historical precedence there is this uh, default attitude and given that it's hard sometimes to know when problems are going to come. Maybe that's why people are on the side of caution. But a very interesting point, and I think it's very positive that it's it's being raised. It would be nice to move beyond those times of two tribalism. We'll have more interesting points, listeners, after this. Tweet us at The Totally Show and find us on Facebook and at thetotallyfootballshow.com. West Ham goalers at West Brom. Watford. Given what for <laughs> by Man City, uh, Spurs with their Wembley wobbles, and Palace. Which one to talk about next, Simon? Palace or Spurs? I think we go Hodgson. Do you? Yeah. Let's do this. 
I owe uh, Southampton an apology because I thought that I, I somehow conjured up in my head some kind of new manager bounce at Selhurst Park. What was I thinking? Yeah. Well, are Saints better than because we we were dubbing them last last Thursday potentially a palace in the making, mm. Um, mm. but they bounced back with a win here. Uh, were they are they better than I thought, or was Palace just really bad? Yeah, I, I think at the moment Palace. Uh, say, uh, people say it's a confidence issue, but you, you look at the the squad of players that they have. It's not a particularly good one. Really. It's the first side in English history yeah. to open a top flight season with five defeats and no goals scored. Wow, they haven't found the back of the net in six consecutive league games. That's across three different managers. Mm. Wow. Going back to Sam Allardyce's days. They've, they've always, you know, the last 12, 18, well, since Pardew's been back there, they've always been really, you know, gr- well, I don't want to say great, but like kind of, you know, potentially could beat any team in the league mm. at, at various periods to, to a team that can't beat anybody in the league. And they're obviously in the latter stage at this moment. And, it, you know, I think there's this assumption that Hodgson's going to come in and just kind of you know, rescue them. Um, I mean, it sounds ridiculous to talk about a rescue job five games into the season, but, you know, I think he's got a lot of work to do there. I don't know whether he's got the the, the, the defence to do to deal with it because it, increasingly you've seen Scott Dan, who I think is quite good actually, but he, he suffers from injuries. He's not mm. there often enough. Sasha. They did have two glaring misses uh, against Southampton, and you, you would as much as they they'd had glaring misses against Burnley in the previous game. Yeah, but but literally the chances should have been buried. Yeah, uh, I think it'd been taken. It was punching with the other one. Hmm. Um, so it's, I mean Southampton, I think are going to be quite a dull watch this season if you look by past experience from what Pellegrino's done, say at Alaves, though not necessarily what he did in South America. Uh, but uh, the game on Saturday, I think Crystal Palace could have got a draw. I'm not. Sure, there will be a Hodgson bounce. I don't think he's that type of character. Well, yeah. maybe maybe it's also down to his, you know, notoriously not very fun methods. And once he puts the them players in. must be confused though, mustn't they, at the moment about what they're expected to do? Because they've gone from Pardew to Allardyce to De Boer to Hodgson. You know, the 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 the, the opposite. I'm, I'm actually pounding the desk there to try and <laughs> emphasize the point. And you know, from from the players' point of view, they seem to be asked one thing, you know, and then a totally different thing. I mean. It, you know, and you, the, the, could, you could tell the difference that Southampton, who weren't very exciting and weren't, weren't very convincing when they had the ball, you could see that there was a sort of pattern to the game and something that they wanted to do, and they kept it quite nicely. And individually, they weren't that great, but they had they had some kind of idea. Whereas Palace was just like one guy starts running, looks up, and then you know what I'm going to do? Okay, I'll put a cross in. Maybe somebody is there. I mean, it was just so. Early erratic. days, of course, so in the yeah. Hodgson raid. Yeah. Early days. Fred the Leopard says, after five no-scoring defeats, how likely is it that Palace will set new low points total for the Premier League? Well, intriguingly, their next four matches are against the top four. That's Man City away, Man United away, Chelsea at home, and then Newcastle away. Newcastle, yes, up in fourth place, Sasha. Three ones in the bounce. Yeah. For the first time in ages. Lascelles again with the winner. Do you know, all four of his Premier League goals have been headers from corners. He has a special set of skills, as people on the podcast <laughs> like to say. Uh, there you go. Uh, Andrew Lowe says, I reckon uh, Newcastle need nine wins out of 33 games. Can they do it and stay up? Phil Wheatley also has questions. Can Newcastle sustain a push for European football? It's going to be a short answer, I suspect. Do they need to? From well, Mike it's Ashley's nice point if you view. can. Mike Ashley doesn't really care about European football, does he? Oh, that's fair. All right. Dave Newton again. Oh, yeah, true. Dave Newton with a more general point. Are we benefited from playing poor teams or are we a genuinely good Rafa side? 
I, I think, I think you know, Rafa Benitez is, is is usually at his best when he's got some kind of conflict, um, and you know, there's a, there's a com- common enemy. Um, towards the end of his time at Liverpool, I think that common enemy became a bit a bit a bit too much. But you know, when his back's against the wall, he usually comes up with answers. And you know, after the first couple of games of the season, uh, it looked like it was going to be a long, hard season for Newcastle. I mean, I don't think he's got the players to do it, to be honest. But mm. you know, with him, that the team will be organised. So you know, they're going to be they will win a fair number of games. I think Newcastle will stay up, but whether they'll push for Europe's a different question. Sasha Spurs fans are eager for us to talk about them, but throw in a final thing on Newcastle if you want. Just very much looking forward to Newcastle-Liverpool in a couple of weeks. Oh, yeah? Going to go up for that, All just right. to see what Rafa can do against Liverpool. Yeah. Yeah. I do feel that that space behind the top four, five, six, maybe, um, is very, very open. Um, you know, the team said you'd expect to make it their own kind of natural habitat. Everton, Southampton, West Ham, maybe after last season, they're nowhere near there. So mm. who knows? I mean, Newcastle could just um, get a few points more and there you go. get into that sort of area. All right, Spurs then. Just when you thought it was safe to go back to Wembley, eh? they failed to score yeah. for the first time in 30 Premier League home games. Last year, 17 wins out of 19 at home. This year, None. And they did everything they could, no? 26 shots. Just didn't do it very well. Kane hit the bar again. Do you know he's had more shots this season on his own than Swansea have? Swansea Uh, have failed to register. I've got more of these. Failed to register a single shot on target for the third time in their five Premier League games this season. Ian McIntosh says uh, Swansea was shipping three a game when Paul Clement arrived. It's fair to say he's fixed that now. Is that fair or was it just wasteful from Spurs? Um, No, I thought they looked very solid. I mean, look, if you have eight man behind the ball you tend to be fairly solid and hard to break down um, it, it takes a bit more ingenuity and and something a little bit special in the final third that Spurs for whatever reason just couldn't produce I mean it could might have to do with Wembley but it could just easily have to do with the fact that they had a very very hard game um, in midweek uh, which really took a lot out of them and that depth which they undoubtedly have, I think, at the back and in, in, in midfield, perhaps isn't quite there up front. I mean, Lorente came on, fairly anonymous. They don't have, they don't have players of the quality in the final third that you think you know somebody will come on and will produce something special. I mean, Spurs. yeah, I mean, you have Son and you have Eriksson who have more individual moments of brilliance, but they are not consistently amazing performers the way that United and City and, and even Chelsea have at this level. Do, do you think they need something that is completely the opposite of Kane or something that's just similar to him to have that alternative option? Because obviously Lorente's a, a totally different player really, isn't he? It's um, different but in a way similar hmm. because he is mm-hmm. he's a target man yeah. of some sort. I mean, I would like to see somebody maybe behind. Vincent Jans um, scored at the weekend. <laughs> to be Did fair, he score at the weekend? Yeah, I mean, I guess I guess they think that with Dele Ali they have a second striker on the pitch. Mm. It's just Ali had a very poor individual game and was not was not a factor. It can happen. Also, Kane's about as reliable as you can get usually. Yeah, as long as it's not August. I wouldn't read too much into it. I mean, Swansea looked very very awkward to play against. And uh, coming back to the original point, I think my guess is they'll frustrate a few more really good sides this season. So. Mm. All right, Maybe well, just more a sign of their competence. Right, I think yeah. that's seven points dropped by Spurs at home this season. Four or four points dropped all of last season. Wow. Yeah, but this is not home. More London teams who didn't score included West Ham away at West Brom in a match which saw Gareth Barry equaling Ryan Giggs's Premier League record of 632 appearances in the competition 
Uh, he started 600 out of those 632. That is impressive from Gareth Barry. Also, Huddersfield and Leicester enjoyed a 1-1 draw. Leicester have only had one win in their last eight Premier League fixtures. Interesting. Bournemouth got their first win of the season 2-1 against Brighton. And the Seagulls will have the opportunity to gain revenge uh, literally tomorrow, Tuesday, when the two sides will be meeting again at the Vitality Stadium in the third round of the EFL Cup. Sasha. Jordan Ibe finally did something. Yeah, what did he do, though? He did two assists. Mm, he came but, on and turned the game. Yeah, that back heel, that was a joyous little one. And also the outside of his boot. Yeah, yeah. For, for the last one. I mean, it's um, he's been such a disappointment at Bournemouth mm. for, for everybody concerned. I mean, I think you could see why Klopp got rid of him last year. Um, and I think they've just been waiting for him to do something like this, and he finally actually produced. I don't think he's actually had a single assist in any of his previous games for Bournemouth. Um, but um, also, I think interesting situation of you know club goes on a losing run, and perhaps different attitudes at different clubs. Say maybe Everton or say Palace sack the manager. Um, for none, none of that at Bournemouth. I mean, it's very very level headed, um, very almost maybe too reliant on how. But and he, I don't think he was under any sort of pressure after those results. They actually looked at the fixtures that they had. And these were awkward opponents for how West Brom, Watford, they were particularly good about Watford, not a very pretty side. Of course, City, they were unfo- a bit unfortunate. And then Arsenal, they always lose. So they kind of looked at those games and went, well, maybe we might get a point out of these. Hmm. But if we lose all four, it's not the end of the world. However, I think it was a bit worrying about how sort of stuck they got against um, Brighton. But this is where I brought to the rescue. He certainly did. And that just leaves the exciting Liverpool who enjoyed a draw with Burnley. It's fair to say, I think, that Burnley came as close to winning this game as the home side did, would you say, Sasha? Uh, well, there was that double corner, uh, first part of which was Clavin again getting now jumped. Um, but um, I think overall, I mean, Liverpool had the chance to win it at the end as well, but I think, uh, you know, it's, as Simon said before the podcast, you know, coming back to the thing that's been haunting Liverpool the last 15 years, mm. uh, this defending issue. It's, it's not just Klopp, you know, it, it goes back until the mid nineties really apart you know the the way the the way periods I suppose under under Julio and, and Benitez where they shorted the defence up but that was at the expense of a more attacking team. So they've never quite got that balance right over over a long period of time. Um and I think the manager that does get the balance right will be the one that, that eventually cracks it. Um, I know it's an obvious thing to say, but the concern with Liverpool is Dortmund team didn't necessarily play with a certain amount of control, but Liverpool never look like they're in control of the destiny at all. And I think that that's what feeds into the crowd's kind of anxiety. I mean, there's chronic anxiety at Anfield at the moment. Um, it's, you know, a, it's a poor run of results, isn't yeah. it? 5-0 with the extenuating circumstance of the red card, then the 2-2 draw... Uh, midweek in the Champions League and and now this 1-1 draw with a Burnley side who hadn't picked up any points at Anfield in a league match since 1974. But they Uh, have beaten Chelsea earlier this season. Well, yeah, and they drew at Spurs. So there's something going on there with Burnley. A team that had been famous for its home form now struggles a little bit at home, but it's terrific on the road. And I'm not sure that they've changed their football at all, have they, Sean Dyche? I think they've just, you know, they've got a bit more experience in the team. They, okay. they, they've, they've recruited quite well again. You know, I think, I think selling Andre Gray was a, a good decision and bringing in Chris Wood, a good decision. You know, he, he scored and, and contributed to uh, with assists already. Um, I think they're just, just building slowly, you know, and, and, and I've just improved. You know, I think that, that might explain it as well. You know, the, I think Di- the funny thing with Sean Dyche, he's, he's, very, he's always so defensive about the way he plays. Has he got a chapter in your book? He does, yeah. All right, what's the chapter called? <laughs> uh, it's called Little Old Burnley. All right. he, re- he refers to Burnley constantly as Little Old Burnley, and I, d- I just think it kind of creates this... 
I don't, I don't, I don't know whether it's a deliberate thing on his part to, to, you know, to say it. I, th- I just think it creates this impression of him, right? Which uh, probably isn't favourable, you know, amongst most people who listen to him. But you know, that it's fair how, to how say. How did you find him in person? Um, well, I didn't have to ask very many questions, to be honest. He just spoke a lot, which was great. I can't complain with that. And a lot of it was was quite interesting, relevant stuff. I mean, uh, the problem is now we, we, in journalism, I suppose, you know, there's there's this kind of way of well the manager's not really like that he's actually the opposite of what he's the reality is he, he's he's in the middle of what probably people think of him you know mm. he he he's obviously pragmatic he, he's he's only got um certain i think he he realizes that that barely have to play like that to get results ultimately but he is very defensive about like the accusation that he plays long ball football and you know at anfield on saturday he did play long ball football but who cares really that they got a good result i mean yeah. I, I think if he has aspirations of going to another club you know with with with, with slightly more well slightly bigger aspirations he he probably does have to need to to find a way for that style to evolve I mean you look you look at Sam Allardyce for example when he first became the Bolton manager they were long ball and then over a number of years they did evolve to some extent they had better players they did play some slightly more creative football at times but that tag still stuck so he's getting to that stage now where he probably has to find a, a slightly different way of doing things if he wants to progress himself he doesn't that, want to be big Sean yes yeah, yeah. I don't I, think he wants to be anything different I think that his his problem is that he's not getting the recognition for doing very well results-wise relative to the yeah. the stuff he has well, to work with. His name was Sean Dicinio. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we just spoke about sorry to cut you but he spoke about Bournemouth. There. I think he, he he likes Eddie Howe. He, he you know he spoke quite openly about you know his, his respect for him. But I think Eddie Howe seems to get a lot more respect within the English game than than Dyche does. When mm. but you probably to borrow your question from earlier, you'd probably rather watch Bournemouth than Burnley, wouldn't you? Yeah. But perhaps not when he's losing three and at Arsenal every year. Mm. Oh. Yeah, it depends if you're neutral or not. Who was the night of all the people you spoke to for your book on the brink? English football uh, journey through English football's northwest. Uh, who was the nicest person you spoke oh, to? Nicest person. Was there somebody who surprised you for how nice they were? You know, or who was the most different to their public persona? Well, I mean, I, I found I found Gary Neville to be ex- exactly how I expected <laughs> him to be honest. Uh, but uh, you know. Uh, I quite I quite like people like that to be honest. Who've got who've got a bit of drive and a bit of needle in mm. them, and will challenge you if if you say something. I don't mind a bit of bit of arguing actually in interviews. It's, okay. it's quite good. Uh, but the nicest person—that's a tricky one. I, I like. Joe. All right, let me Joe, ask you a separate yeah. question. Mark Palios. Okay. I think he's a, I think he's a very decent person and, and got you know really good ideas about football. But um, you know I think I think it's a shame that the the. the with it, because of what happened with the FA, it kind of just gets disregarded. You know, there's that tendency in football. If you have one big PR gaffe, that's it, you're finished. Whereas right. you've actually got quite a lot of good ideas. My other question was going to be this. Is it true that the first report you ever filed uh, at Southport was about UFOs? This is correct. Brilliant. It, it, All right, it, what happened? It wasn't the only UFO sighting in Southport. That what was the sighting? Um, I'm trying to think. I think it was over Marshside, um, which is like to the north of Southport. And, okay. You know, a lot of marshes, as you'd expect. And I had to ring up the local UFO expert who who confirmed to me that it, it was a UFO. So this actually made the paper All UFO right. in Southport. Yeah. Were there any pictures or anything? Um, was no. football being played at the time? Uh, there was no football. Okay. I mean, yeah. I mean, Southport is that kind of place where you see. UFOs is yes. it because yeah. there are certain ge- kind of geographical locations around the world yeah. where the incidence is just that much higher. There's a there's a, a, a mountain in in uh, in Minas Gerais in in in, in Brazil um, 
there's also a town where one of the most famous for ufologists, one of the most famous kind of UFO crashes are supposed to happen. I think it's called Vargin Grande. And they, um, yeah, supposedly the, the Brazilian military arrived and they there was an injured alien and stuff. Uh, we, when we get our Totally Alien podcast up, we're going to go into all this stuff in depth. Have you, have you got any great Russian well, UFO Well, Siberia, stories? obviously, the Tunguska meteorite was um, just um, a UFO crashing, wasn't it? Oh, oh yeah. Right. Brilliant. Uh, can, can I just finish off with my little Southport story? Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was one rational explanation for this UFO because just over the uh, the Ribble Estuary, they've got a, they're making those uh, Typhoon aeroplane, you know, like kind of those, I don't know, fighter jets. Fighter yeah. jets, yeah. And I think that, that was where that, that's oh, But they always, they always heard it's the military yeah, experiment. But it is just over the way. So, yeah, you know, it could have been. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows, eh? Who knows? But anyway, shall we talk a bit more about Liverpool? Or is that Did you want to talk more about Liverpool, Rafa? You got a clock book coming up. Why don't you save it for that? <laughs> When's your clock book out? Uh, Mid November. All right James. then. Still waiting for him to sort that defence out, as uh, as Simon was saying. I know you feel it's only a matter of time. Yes. History would suggest it is. I mean, look, I think the. I can understand if I was a Liverpool supporter, a supporter of any big team, I'd want my team to be. Super exciting up front and super solid at the back and winning every game. Yes, that is that is the ideal scenario. Um, he's clearly not quite there yet. But mm. And he clearly agrees, which is why he was out after Van Dijk. Yeah, I think this is, this is where the frustration comes into it. I think whatever Klopp does on the training ground, I think we can all agree that more individual quality at the back would not have hurt them this summer, especially mm. after adding considerable quality in, in other positions. And here, I think, is where the frustration comes in, that whoever's really ultimately responsible for identifying um, alternatives to Virgil van Dijk did not have a viable alternative. And I think that is something of a, of a, of a club of the size of Liverpool and of their financial ability and uh, yeah reach that I think is a very unsatisfactory answer Fair and enough. I think that's that's a big problem going forward wow we could talk about this for hours couldn't we but after this we're getting a visit from Ian McIntosh with the latest from bits of the football league and then we're going to be casting our eye over further flung frontiers of football listeners If you want your face to be as smooth as the sounds here at our new home, Jazz FM, then you need to noodle on to cornerstone.co.uk pronto. Cornerstone, take all the hassle out of shaving. Let them know how often you defuzz and sign up to one of their plans and you'll never have to worry about running out of blades ever again. They'll deliver them right to your door. To get you started, head to cornerstone.co.uk slash totally and you'll receive a personally engraved razor and six super sharp blades for just £4. That's cornerstone.co.uk slash totally. Nice. Hello, Ian McIntosh. Hello. Right. Now, Football League this weekend is going to get its very own podcast as of tomorrow certainly is. You're going to be joined by former Birmingham and Villa manager Alex McLeish in the studio. You're going to get behind the scenes from Millwall Leeds, which saw Leeds' terrific run ended. You're going to be focusing on Exeter and Oxford. Good Lord, so much stuff. Listeners, subscribe now. It's called the Totally Football League Show. Uh, save your League 1 and League 2 chat. Much as I'd like to hear it for that podcast, Ian. And lead 
having spoken of Birmingham and Villa, with the latest shock news at, well, particularly Birmingham, where Harry Redknapp's gone. Yeah, that was... um... That, that was a little unexpected. I mean, we'd spoken a number of times about how badly Birmingham were doing, but in midweek they played Leeds and, and they were beaten 2-0, but they actually played quite well. There was mm. far more shape and general idea. And at half-time they were one up against Preston, who were looking very decent this side. And, and they were looking so good that I said to the BBC's Alistair Bruce Ball, it looks like Harry's turned it around at last. Well, you'd be forgiven for thinking so. Preston, after all, hadn't won away in their last 15 away games. But then in the space of 11 minutes, what happened? Boom. Suddenly, Preston were 3-1 up, and wow. Birmingham, by all accounts, including Redknapp's own account, just went to pieces completely. Now, this is very, very awkward, because Birmingham has spent a lot of money by championship standards. I mean, they spent the better part of 12 million quid on half the Brentford team um, uh, just in the week before transfer deadline day. Redknapp had been saying all the way through the season he hasn't got the players, it's not the team he wants, he hasn't got the players, then he gets the players and he's gone almost instantly. So while there is you know, genuine justifiable criticism to be directed at Redknapp, you're also looking at the Birmingham owners and thinking, have you really got the clearest idea? I mean, this is the, the ownership which sacked Gary Rowett when they were in seventh and right. replaced him with Zola, yeah. who did not leave them in seventh. No, they've won six games out of the 38 matches they've played since... Uh, Gary Rutt went. Who's going to take over full-time? Right now, it's anybody's guess. You would imagine, given the way this uh, the, the owners have, have worked so far, that it will be someone possibly more with, with more of a name than a, an appropriate skill set. Hmm. If I may just uh, butt in on the owners there. Um, they bought Les Ambassadeurs Casino uh, in London uh, last week, and there has been perhaps a suggestion that maybe they, um, they're not might not be that interested in Birmingham City for much longer. Right. Um, and given how they've been running the club for the last year, maybe they haven't been that interested in the first place. But it lo- obviously looks they don't really have much of an idea how to run a football club. So I wouldn't be surprised if they move on. Uh, I think it's also in the, in the general context of what's happening in China at the moment um, and football ownership. Uh, it's The messages from Beijing are very, very mixed. And for example, Suning and Wanda are getting a kicking and it's a sort of uncertain which way the whole Chinese football investment is going to go forward. Because the government are increasingly down on people pumping their money into propping up kind of ludicrous it's, follies, it's, uh, <laughs> follies abroad? Well, this I think this is how it's being presented. But for example, Suning and Wanda are actually reasonably sensible, but no one can really see where it's going to pan out in two, three months because the government position keeps changing. That's interesting. A little, bit of, see a little we, bit of geopolitics for you there. See why we need a whole show for this, can't you? Yeah, yeah. A- absolutely. Hey, uh, something novel for Steve Bruce. Hey, <laughs> a win. Is, is, yeah, they won. Yeah, 3-0 away at Barnsley. But, you know, novel, Steve Bruce. Oh, uh, yeah. see, it went straight yeah. over my head. Um, yes, 3-0 away from Barnsley. So that, that just really rubs it in for the Birmingham fans. Not only are they in trouble, but Villa are powering up to mid-table. And you would expect them to kind of build on that. That's right. certainly what Bruce said. Um, but interesting news for Barnsley as well, their takeover is, is almost complete. Uh, oh, one, who's taking them over? One Billy Bean of Moneyball You're fame. kidding! No. And listening to uh, football podcasts in general. Does he? he? He's a minority, minority shareholder. Yes, along with uh, a, a consortium from which country? China. China, of course. Billy previously, um, and hello to you if you're listening, Billy, um, It was had a, uh, a position at a Dutch club, and I can't remember which one. Altmar, Altmar. And now, Sasha's sharing a microphone, excitingly, at the moment with Ian. Uh, Ian, can you just swivel the microphone back to Sasha? He's got something to say. Uh, I think for the Chinese, the interesting thing with Barnsley is that they're effectively getting it on the cheap, and Barnsley got plenty of assets. All right. Are they building infrastructure as well? 
uh, infrastructure in Barnsley. Mm, not no, convinced. Okay. Sometimes well, I mean, they've, they've got quite a good scouting record of the of ploughing through the lower leagues and, and non-league. So some good players come through there. Um, so, you know, John maybe Stones? It'll, maybe it'll continue. John Stones, yeah. Bingo. Um, you can see why the Chinese are licking their lips over that. Uh, elsewhere, I mentioned Leeds getting their first defeat of the season, but they're still top. Yep, still top, just about on goal difference. Um, no one saw that one coming at all. Millwall had only won one game thus far this season against Norwich. Uh, Leeds have just looked imperious throughout the season um, and have been uh, several games without conceding a goal. I think it was up to six hmm. by the time they went down. So incredible result from Millwall. Uh, we had Matt Stanger there on behalf of the new show. Oh, yeah. Um, What's it called again? Totally yeah. Football League show. You right. can subscribe to that now on iTunes. Will you be talking about Cardiff drawing 1-1 with Sheffield Wednesday, a result which enabled Wolves to move into second place because they beat Forest 2-1? We'll be talking about it a little bit, but we're not going to be one of those traditionally structured football league shows. Okay. We're not going to start at the top and work our way all the way through 72 different narratives. We're all just right. going to tell a handful of stories. Ooh, all right, and hopefully you are going to talk, maybe you can now actually, a little taster of the 1-1 draw between Hull and Sunderland. All sorts of problems for Leonid Slutsky. Oh, yes. Sasha, he, you're, you're his best mate in, in England. <laughs> How's he feeling? Uh, I think I think he's rather stressed. I mean, I didn't uh, watch the Sunderland game particularly closely, but I did go to the Fulham game, ah. and I thought uh, initially he had he went very defensively five for one because they got hammered uh, at Derby five nil after a series of mistakes by Hector. Uh, but he, I think, essentially went to the same formation against Sunderland and then mixed it up to a four two three one second half. They uh, they they came back. I think he at the moment. It might look from the outside that he's perhaps chopping and changing his formation a little bit too much, but he does have a limited m- number of players. And what he does quite well, I think he's adapting within the game. Mm. Even like if it's not particularly good first half, as he, he described the first half against something that's terrible, mm. uh, then he can make uh, enough changes to outmanage a lot of the managers in the championship. And for example, against Fulham, who are a very good team, he basically went head to head last 15 minutes when he went to four at the back, where back and forth gung-ho proper championship so he's definitely embracing it but I think it's pretty stressful Alright, has he still got that smile on his face that we saw earlier in the season? I haven't seen the smile for a while Oh, that's a shame, isn't it? Um, Ian, anything else? Uh, only to say you can subscribe to the Totally Football League show on iTunes and so many of you did last week that it bounced all the way to number two in the iTunes charts which isn't bad for a podcast that hasn't had an episode yet. Right, the iTunes charts actually weighted towards new subscribers so don't, if you launch something it just goes straight Don't to ruin this with yeah. science No, but it's, it's, that's nice um, Experts Alright, looking forward to that on Tuesday uh, Do you want to stick around for the rest of the show? Uh, Sasha's going to be doing more geopolitics you know what? I'll only bring it down. OK. Uh, Rafa is going to talk about Germany. Simon's going to say loads of stuff. <laughs> um, I'm not going to talk about Italy because we're going to... Do you know what? There's so much stuff happened in, in Italy. Year old. We need it, it needs its own podcast. But until that happens, we'll have to wait till Thursday to tell you all about the 16-year-old who scored a brace on Sunday night in that incredible uh, 3-2 match between Genoa and Lazio. Lazio coming out winners there to uh, maintain their position just behind the leading three, which are Inter, Napoli and Juventus, who have all made perfect starts. Speaking about Juventus, we'll also tell you on Thursday about how Paolo Dybala has now scored as many goals on his own as the bottom five clubs put together. What? And we'll also be describing what's happened in the midweek round of games because they're having an English evoque, as they call it in Italy. Uh, Rafa, they've got a midweek round of fixtures. Same thing's going to happen in Germany, isn't it? In the Bundesliga. Yes. All right, then. Uh, ahead of the midweek round of matches that's going to take place in the Bundesliga, I see Hanover in second place there. Newly promoted hanger, ha- ha- hangover. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, giving hamburger a hangover, you might say. Yeah. 
on Friday, 2 0 win. Yeah, I always think hamburgers go very well with a Hanover. Yes. 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 No, um, Tosten Lieberknecht is doing extremely well there um, with a newly promoted side. I tipped them to go down. I mean, they might still. Early days, right? Yeah, I know they might still. But they've done they've done very well. Question from Kenneth Ertner. After Robin's celebration, is Bayern back to being FC Hollywood? Or is this crisis just a minor bump in the road? What did Robin do? I, I don't know exactly what he's referring to. I mean, Robin was very... Um, was being a bit of a team player, right. characteristically. He kissed Ribéry when he came off. Okay. Which was um, was nice to see. Mm-hmm. And, also because uh, Ribéry gets really grumpy when he comes off, doesn't he? Yeah, but this was the other round. Robin oh, came right. off and Ribéry came on. Um, still, um, no, I mean, I, if anything, the result and the manner of the performance and everybody very clearly, I think, having had a few days to reflect on Bayern falling apart a little bit as a team, mm. they got to the point where they, you could see it from some of the stuff that Müller said, where they kind of sat together and said, we have to sort this out. We can no longer just all play out an individual game and just look after ourselves because we will, we will not be successful so they've had a bit of a clear of the air uh, clearing the air kind of talk and uh, they play with a lot more energy and and commitment and they absolutely destroyed a team that just individually wasn't wasn't on the same level 4-0 win against Mainz another two goals for Lewandowski that takes him to 88 goals in 100 Bundesliga games for Bayern since arriving on a free which is very impressive. They're up to third place now. So Dortmund's still top. And then, as we mentioned, the surprising Hanover in second place. And a full round of fixtures on the way. Was there anything else about Germany that you wanted uh, to throw yeah, in? We've only got four minutes left. Red to... card for Naby Keita oh, yeah. for a high challenge. Ah. Uh, Three-week ban. Ooh. Very, very uh, money-esque. And, um, and a similar incident involving a goalkeeper, Kuhn Costells who knocked out uh, Christian Gentner of Stuttgart. Gentner broke three bones in his face. Ooh. and How did he knock him out? With his knee Ooh. by going for a, for a ball. Schumacher-esque? Yeah, um, no, because Schumacher, of course, completely missed the ball and just went through Batistone. Now, this was one of those sort of very modern goalkeeping moves where they just uh, put up a knee mm. to protect themselves, but right. also to really tell players to get out of the way. Gentner wasn't really involved in the whole thing, uh, goalkeeper didn't really see him but knocked him out cold and um, VAR did not get involved and by most common um, observers uh, you know judgment that was a clear case of reckless uh, at least reckless um, foul you should have at least had a yellow card um, as it was nothing was given All right fair enough only got a couple of minutes left to tell you that they've also been busy in Spain. Of course, they've got a midweek round there. Uh, Barcelona came from behind to win at Getafe. Paulinho with the winning goal there. But Dembele, Usman Dembele, going out injured. They're talking of three to four months out, which is a huge disappointment yeah, given the amount of money they've just... outpour of sympathy in Dortmund. There were uh, <laughs> fan choreographies and people... That's harsh. That's harsh. Real won, Atletico won at their, you might call it the wonder of the world, then you wonder Metropolitano, which I was a little bit disappointed. You build a new stadium, it just looks like generic, it looks like generic FIFA stadium where, you know, where they, they haven't bothered to, it, it looks like a... It looks yeah. a bit unfinished as well. Yeah. It's in the middle of nowhere as well, isn't it? I'm right in saying Yeah. Nowhere to have a drink. Boo. In a second or two, we'll get to finish off a little bit of an update on events in Scotland. First though, Sasha... Um, What's the what's the situation in uh, Russia regarding a couple of clubs who Premier League sides 
are going to be facing soon. Specifically, Spartak, who had big problems, it looked like, in uh, with di- with kind of off-field discipline and, and crowd trouble and that in their clash in the Champions League with Maribor last week. And Seska, who might have one or two geopolitical headaches. Well, I th- actually, both clubs have a f- couple of geopolitical headaches. Uh, I'll start off with Spartak. Their latest uh, run out in the league uh, finished with the manager going into the dressing room and going, do you want me to leave? What Are you say? doing this on purpose? What, what did the player say? Well, the player, no one, uh, it hasn't been reported what the player said. So this is Massimo Carrera, Massimo Carrera. who we've kind of dubbed Antonio Conte mm-hmm. light. He does, he does apparently still keep in touch with him and, you know, goes through a few tactical tweaks here and there. And, mm. you know, he went back to the 3-5-2. Well, they won the championship last year. So what's the problem? Uh, yeah, I think, well, basically they won the championship rather unexpectedly. I mean, the situation has already been compared to Leicester. I mean, uh, I mean, for Spartak to wait for 16 years for the title is a bit like Leicester waiting their whole lives. Uh, over the summer, it's been a conflict between effectively the new director of football in terms of signings and Carrera, breakdown in communication, like rows over bonuses. And effectively, they only signed three players. One of them is Pashalic on loan from uh, Chelsea. And another guy, they tried to pick up Luan from Gremio and instead they got Pedro Rocha as a kind of cut price. Uh, replacement. So uh, they have been blowing two goal leads left, right and centre and this happened for the third time uh, on Sunday against Tosno, newly promoted Tosno, where they threw away a two goal lead against ten men in the last five minutes. Is it on purpose, Sasha? Well, it's it's just a lack of concentration, I think, and it's just basically, I think once the going gets a little bit tough, it looks like the team actually gives up. Uh, at Maribor, uh, whom they should have really beaten quite easily, mm. uh, there were a couple of horrendous defensive ma- lapses by Yeshenko on the right side of the 3-5-2, and Maribor could have actually won that game. Mm. On top of that, as you alluded to, there was a bit of crowd trouble. Now, beforehand, uh, there was videos of people running around fighting the police in Maribor. Those aren't actually for a change. They weren't the Russians. Right. Those were the Slovenians trying to get at the Russians, but the police Was it the Spartak them. fans who fired the rocket at the referee? However, it was definitely the Spartak fans who fired the rocket at the referee, although there has been some suggestion, uh, Rawls eyes, uh, that it was the Serbs in the Spartak crowd who did it, because okay. uh, there's a friendship between Spartak Moscow and okay. Srebrenica Zvezda, so they came over. However, apparently there's a guy locked up, and uh, he He's facing perhaps five years. Ooh. The flare gate will come before UEFA on the 21st of September. I don't think the Liverpool game in Moscow is in danger. However, Spartak probably should get some sort of a suspended sentence and a fine. You fancy Liverpool's chances away at Spartak? I think Spartak will get absolutely destroyed, uh, given how they're playing at the moment. Also, just to mention a couple of things off the pitch, why perhaps they're throwing the money around. Otkritia, uh, the sponsors of the stadium, have just been taken over by Central Bank because... Oops, where's the money gone? Um, IFD Capital, uh, run by Fidun, the owner, uh, went under sanctions uh, this summer because they've taken over a hotel group in Crimea. So the money is a little bit tight. And if, Hang on, so if you take over a hotel group in Crimea, you get sanctioned by... US sanctions. Oh, I see. Because it's... it's Right, because that they because shouldn't Because that be, thing yeah. they... That they did that whole Ukraine thing. Oh, that's part of the whole Ukraine thing. Right. Okay. Um, and also part of this whole Ukraine thing is uh, perhaps allows us to come to CSK Moscow. Their stadium sponsor, VEB Bank, is also under sanctions since 2014 for the reasons of Ukraine. Giner, the owner, has a lot of energy and hotel interests in Ukraine. Now, interestingly enough. Uh, over the weekend, uh, this annual meeting was happening. It's called Yes Ukraine. So basically, Ukrainians speaking. Yes to, Ukraine. Yes Ukraine. Speaking hmm. to the it's Western like, partners. Didn't Obama have that. Yes. Oh no, that was yeah. But go on. So uh, they had David Cameron there, for example, complaining about dangers of populism. Uh, John Kerry saying that the way Russia is behaving in its foreign policy at the moment is probably a function of how Russia was treated in the 90s. But interestingly enough, with implications for CSK, it's what Poroshenko, the um, Ukrainian president, said. He was basically talking about isolating Ukraine from Russia and for a greater energy union with the EU. And I think this will hit Giner. 
uh, and his interests in Ukraine. So this is the Ukraine people want to have a greater energy co- uh, collaboration with Europe rather than the other side. Right, okay. So I think, you know, we'll be affected by this. I haven't read anything in the Russian press, but I think you have to put two and two together and I think money will be even tighter at CSK. Now, in terms of on the pitch, they got a surprising result at Benfica, whom they beat 2-1 in the Champions League. I mean, people were amazed. They got a soft penalty, but they built on it. And actually, a young player who came, you know, who, who they got early, didn't buy him this summer. Uh, Jamal Dinov came on and got the win on rebound. Now, in terms of players being tied from European games, now, um, CSK got back or to Moscow on Wednesday at 8 o'clock in the morning. Five-hour flight, two-hour time difference. And they were very, very tied for Rostov, even though publicly, you know, we're in great shape and stuff. But they basically endured through Rostov game at the weekend. They beat them 2-0. And they're actually up to fourth now so whilst on the one hand uh, no one at CSK thinks they're going to beat Manchester United because they're way too experienced and old for that uh, they are perhaps to be taken more seriously than Spartak Moscow are at the moment Interesting Sasha that was fascinating uh, little round up there one of two things in in Russia can I just throw this in from Johnny Blaine who mentions it in the Swiss Cup young boys beat old boys this uh, weekend 4-0 it's nice from boys to boys as we go beyond the wall as our man Jim Burt returns with another hot take on Celtic, Rangers and the rest of the goings-on north of the border. The weekend kicked off on Friday when Rangers hopped across the river to play their other Glasgow rivals, Partick Thistle, in the knowledge that a good win would see them potentially top of the table. But to reference the manager's press conference the other week, it appears either the dog stopped barking or the caravan stopped moving and Rangers were held to a draw at Fir Hill. This gave the Harry Rags, who were reduced to 10 men, only their second point of the season. The fixtures on Saturday did bring a degree of comfort to Kuchina in that Aberdeen unexpectedly dropped a point at home against Kilmarnock, who similarly doubled their points tally with a 1-1 draw at Pataudry. Rangers could have found themselves fifth in a table of 12 had St Johnson overcome Dundee at Dens Park, but they went down to the odd goal in five, with Saints manager Tommy Wright less than impressed with the referee performance, who he felt denied his side at least a point. As was discussed in this very podcast, there was a lot of talk about Northern Ireland manager Michael O'Neill and questions asked about why his name is never mentioned when decent-sized jobs become available, and arguably the same could be said for his fellow countryman Wright. He's been at Saints six years, won the Scottish Cup and guided them to top four finishes in the last three seasons. All this on a budget equivalent to a stick of rock in a balloon. That said, he may find his name thrown about this weekend as it sees the first old firm clash of the season. Ominously for Rangers, Celtic recovered from their shooing from the team with the massive wage bill, PSG, by handing out a 4-0 hiding to Ross County, over whom they have an equally huge financial advantage. While the performance was concerning enough for their opponents, the return to starting eleven and goal-scoring form by Moussa Dembele isn't what the Ibrox men want to hear. Despite it being so early in the season, if there's a repeat of the last meeting at Ibrox where Celtic won comfortably, there could well be a clamour for change of manager. This fixture is big enough without the added pressure of a sack hanging over you. Now, the names of Wright, McLeish and even possibly Billy Davis could find their way into some of the reports next Sunday if the game and the result goes Celtic's way. The only crumb of comfort for Rangers fans, I suppose, is that Davy Moy's glorious Celtic career is probably enough to stop his name getting thrown in the mix. I think even supporters of the other SPL clubs wouldn't wish that on them. Excellent work there from Jim Burke. Many thanks to uh, Rafa, Simon and Sasha for being with us today. We'll be back on Thursday for another edition of the Totally Football Show. The Totally Football League Show will be with you on Tuesday. Happy listening and we'll speak to you soon. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production. 
For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddyneesmedia.com and tweet us at The Totally Show.